It's time now for North Star Sports, your source for the hottest sports takes in the business. Here's your host, Owen Ely. Hello, everybody, and welcome to North Star Sports. I'm your host, Owen Ely. You can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely MN. You also can follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star MIN. Be sure to check out our website at NorthStarsports.media. And welcome to the show, everyone. We got a great one for you today here on this Thursday, April 29th, as we look to recap UFC 261 Usman versus Masvidal, which took place back on Saturday, April 24th at the Vistar Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida. Obviously, goes without saying. I say it every time, but it's great to be back with you guys. And uh, that's no lie. we got a, a very big show today. Uh, doubleheader. We'll obviously be doing the preview for uh, UFC Fight Night, Reyes versus Prohaska. Uh, later this afternoon, it's uh, NFL Draft Day, which uh, is, is always... Uh, you know, it's crazy to say, but I think it's the, it's the best day of the NFL season. I know that that's fucking bonkers to say. Uh, but honestly, I like the NFL draft more than I like any given week of the season, more than Super Bowl week, more than wild card week. I, I just, I love team building. I love the draft. Uh, you know, f- huge fucking mistakes happen uh, today. Really, I mean, really, it's a three-day period, obviously, you know, only the first round today, but huge mistakes happen gems can be found you know this is really where the uh the (laughs) trying to think of a good analogy but you know this is really where your bread is buttered um so today is a a very big day um i think the pfl is back today as well not that anybody gives a fuck about the pfl um but they are back rory mcdonald fights today um yeah, I don't know if that, I don't think that's a needle mover, but you know, ESPN Plus certainly wants uh, me to believe it's a needle mover. Uh, I also watched uh, one championship last night. I, I do not like one championship. Just terrible at every single level. It's terrible. It's below PFL, below Bell, certainly below Bellator. Uh, not a big fan of one. I've given them so many chances the last year. Uh, you know, I tuned in for the Mighty Mouse fight. You know, I, I tune in for some of these, you know, UFC guys who go over there. Obviously, Eddie fought a couple of weeks ago. It was a no contest, uh, and and then he lost um, last night. And uh, I saw that uh, Rene Rene De Ritter, or whatever the fuck his name is, uh, beat that that uh, uh, Burmese fighter. Just every time I tune in, it's shitty fights or like ridiculous endings. Like, um, like the Eddie Alvarez fight with uh, Yuri, fucking what's his name? Nobody knows any of these one championship fighters, but ending because of an illegal strike that was completely fucking legal into the side of the head. I mean, that's obviously why they they turned it to a no contest and not a, a DQ loss. Um, uh, fucking that um, that gigantic heavyweight got punched in the throat and they called it a KO. I mean, I don't know if that's I mean, I know throat punches are definitely fucking illegal in the UFC. I don't know the legality of throat punches over in Asia. I know they're a little more lax on rules, uh, illegal rules like that. Like, obviously, you can knee uh, opponents in the head when they're a downed fighter. You can soccer kick people. 12 to 6 elbows are legal, which they should be in the UFC, by the way. Soccer kicks should be legal in the UFC, by the way. But I don't know if that's legal or not, but just, like, stupid bullshit like that. Like, I've never watched a good... Uh, one championship fight in my life and uh, that Rene de Ritter or whatever the Dutch knight um, just completely dominating you can't you can't uh, blame him and I, I don't really want to turn this into a one championship fucking recap and hate fest but um, you know just the most boring fights imaginable uh, their commentary team is just so beyond what you would see at a regional level it's embarrassing uh, just everything. Production level sucks. The intermission sucks. I mean, it, it really makes you... I am glad that I tune in to, to one championship because it really makes you realize how amazing the UFC is at at every single level. And I, like, I'm obviously a fan of the UFC, and if you're tuning into this, you obviously are a fan of the UFC as well. Um, 
And I, I don't mean to uh, always talk glowingly about the UFC, which I certainly don't, but I guess it sounds like I, I would in this context. Um, you know, they certainly make some mistakes, but man, it just makes you grateful that the UFC has everything figured out from fucking graphics, all of their music. You know, everybody loved those old, um, like, UFC on Fox intros or whatever. I love the UFC on ESPN intros. Like, all the all the, the transition musics, the transitions, the fucking replays, uh, the commentary. John Anik's the best play-by-play in any sport ever. I mean, I've never seen a better play-by-play than John Anik. Fitzgerald is a fucking A-plus as well. All the color commentators are amazing, except for Joe Rogan, who just ruins every single fucking broadcast he's on. But that's fine. We have like 10 other color commentators that are amazing in their own way and unique in their own way. Like, you know, the difference from a Dom Cruz to a Daniel Cormier, to a Paul Felder, you know, they're all, they're all A-plus color commentators, but they're, they're very distinct, uh, you know, in, in their personalities and, uh, you know, well, I guess in their analysis as well, but it's just, God, in the, in the fights as well, like, I don't know, sometimes we get, we get stinkers of a, of a fight night, but I don't know, man, like, most fights in the UFC are, are at least enjoyable to some degree, so, really really you know provide some context for how great the UFC is um we have some housekeeping to get to obviously we had the main card showdown April World Grand Prix uh on Saturday and I defeated Reagan Hooverman via split decision 47-47 uh a lot closer than I thought uh I, I really felt confident in my picks you know, I beat uh, Jerry the week before by nine points, which which is a, a, a record, uh, and that was a five-round fight as well. I think I had a nine-point win, but it was in a seven-round fight, um, so a lot closer than I thought. Reagan, you know, Reagan sucks against everybody else, but he really he really turns it on when he uh, when he faces me. But now I think I'm five and three against him, so still not still not great, uh, you know, because I I I'd, I'd like to have never lost to Reagan, but. You know, I, I win another uh, gold medal. I think that's my fourth uh, gold medal, second uh, second in a row, and uh, three of the last four. And you know, the mailman's dominance you know just continues. I'm on an eight fight winning streak, uh, six consecutive title defenses. Uh, you know, there's just no competition for the mailman. And even crazier, I think. So my record's twenty five, nine and three. At one point, let me try to see. I'm pulling up the website right now. At one point, I was 11, 8, and 3. So I'm fucking 14 and 14 and 1 in my last 15. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. I don't know who's next. I'd really like to face Peyton. I'd really like to face Peyton, but I don't think he's competed in like over a month. But he's 8 and 5. He's got a lot of knockouts on his record. I don't know if he's technically still the number one contender in uh, our rankings, but he's definitely in the top two. So if Peyton ever could turn in picks, I would definitely like to face Peyton so that I could say I beat another another person. Because in this title defense, I've beaten Jerry twice, Francis twice, and then Drew and Reagan. So you know, I'd like to I'd like to you know beat Peyton. But other other than that. You know, I don't know. Quincy the Dab Man got a win over uh, Baby Gramps, so he's three one and one. So, you know, I don't know. Drew got the win over Jerry, so he did pick up a bronze medal. So maybe it's maybe it's Drew, although he kind of squeaked by. So did Quincy the Dab Man. But you know, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's we, we might have to think of of something uh, more original. I don't know. Maybe like a, a three way title fight or something. Like I, I don't. You know, I don't know what we got to do, but, uh, you know, the mailman just continues his dominance. Um, I think that's all the housekeeping I had to get to, so let's get right into this recap of UFC 261. And obviously, we got to start uh, with the main event where Kamaru Usman knocked out Jorge Masvidal in round number two. Uh, I can't say I, I saw that happening. Uh, you know, obviously, the big talking point on the preview show uh was whether or not Kamaru Usman would get a finish. Now, for me, it was a foregone conclusion as as much as you can say that in MMA where anybody is one punch away from turning the tides of a fight. I thought it was a foregone conclusion that Kamaru Usman was going to win this fight. It's very rare that the older fighter 
when they lose to a younger fighter, comes back the second time and beats them. We just saw them fight nine months ago. Kamaru Usman won that one in dominant fashion. Now, when I say dominant, I mean dominant. I don't mean a damaging fight, but it was dominant. He neutralized Masvidal, didn't allow him to, to strike at all, clinched him up. Masvidal was in quicksand, quicksand, took him down. He didn't do a ton of damage, but won dominantly and then comes out in this fight and uh, just fucking flatlines him. And um, I don't know. We've never seen that from Masvidal at the UFC level. He was knocked out before he came to the UFC in eerily similar fashion. I mean, essentially just the same move. Uh, And um, (coughs) excuse me. And uh, I don't know. That's that's. I was so perplexed by that. I mean, I, I didn't, you know, obviously Kamaru Usman, we saw him turn on his striking against Burns uh, a couple of months ago, you know, really making the adjustment. Trevor Whitman telling him you, you, you're a champ because of your jab and then him just fucking, you know, really, really clocking Gilbert Burns with the jab. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's, if he's just that much better of a striker or if it's the threat of the takedown. Uh, you know, that, that kind of can facilitate, um, you know, some of these um, looser striking exchanges. But either way, you know, I really think this, um, I really think this kind of opens up people's uh, minds to the idea that Kamaru Usman, I mean, he probably, it's so tough to say he's the best striker in the welterweight division, but, you know, I think for anybody who is like, well, Kamaru Usman has pillow hands. Well, Kamaru Usman's not not that good of a striker. He's a pretty fucking good striker, you guys. Like he's, I'm still gonna say Wonder Boy Thompson's a better striker, um, just because there's there's a puzzle that comes with Wonder Boy Thompson. There is no puzzle with Kamaru Usman. That's not to say he's not a great striker because obviously he is. But like, there's a fucking whole ordeal. Like it, it's a real fucking messy puzzle to try to figure out the striking of Wonderboy Thompson. So I'd still give him the edge. But like, I don't know. I, I And I think he's been a good striker for some time. And, you know, people say like, so like, you know, back at, at UFC 245, when he uh, knocked out Colby Covington, you know, and that was just basically a kickboxing match. You know, a lot of people were like, well, these are two wrestlers and they're not very good strikers. But, you know, Kamaru Usman won. So, you know, Kamaru Usman maybe is like a C-minus striker. Covington's a D-plus striker. And they just decided to kickbox. No, I think that they're both really fucking good strikers. And, um, you know, yeah, they came from wrestling bases. But kind of like Kamaru Usman's been saying since the fight, he's still growing. And that's such a scary thing to think about for Kamaru Usman. Obviously, at this point, with a result like that, you would obviously... um, You'd obviously start talking about him moving up to middleweight and fighting for the middleweight belt. That's not really uh, a starter when it comes to uh, Israel Adesanya, his his fellow Nigerian, uh, being the champ at middleweight. So really, it's just him staying at welterweight and, um, you know, just just continuing uh, his dominance. Uh, You know, I I thought Colby Covington should have had this title shot. I thought there was no fucking way. Uh, Masvidal should have should have had this title fight. Uh, he did not take the fight on six days. He was training for that fight for fucking seven months. I mean, it, anybody who believes that just is not aware of the situation. He did not. He flew out there and weighed in on six days' notice. That is tough. Uh, you got to give him credit for that. He did not. Like that's that's such a fucking like. <laughs> that that's such a weird like. Well, technically, it is true. Technically, technically, he accepted the fight on six days' notice. I mean, sure, he was training for, you know, more than half a year to fight Kamaru Usman. But, yeah, you know, he took the fight on six days' notice. Okay, yeah, and this is what happens uh, when when we just give out title fucking chances to people who just got dominated. And, you know, I mean, like, there are plenty of champions who don't get immediate title rematches. So why why a challenger gets an immediate title rematch makes no sense. I mean, you know, Woodley defended the belt four times and, did, and didn't get an immediate title rematch, which I think he should have got. Uh, obviously, we kind of know how his career trajectory went and how Kamaru's went, so the same thing 
you know, the same result would have fucking happened if they rematched, but I, I thought he earned it. Um, so, I don't know. And, and, you know, the argument for him not getting the title shot would be, well, he got dominated by Usman. He doesn't deserve a title shot. Yeah, so did Masvidal. Masvidal got fucking dominated. So, you know, I, I, I think um, I think Masvidal's a good fighter. I, I don't really want to, like, shit on somebody when they're, when they're down. Uh, so I do think he's a good fighter. But for anybody who thought he was an elite fighter, dude, we see this fairly often. Like, I, I'm starting to think that Jorge Masvidal is a little bit more like Anthony Smith than he is, like, an elite blue-chip fucking top-of-the-division fighter. You know, just someone who was in the right place at the right time and capitalized on it up until a point where you really had to, you know, let your nuts hang out and, and you know, fight for something that meant something, and then you, you lost. You know what I mean? Like Anthony Smith running running into senior citizen fighters at the very, 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 very end of their career, you know, face, facing ch- guys who were champions fucking 11 years ago and knocking them out. I mean, it's like, okay, like that's one of the least impressive things I've ever seen. And then he gets exposed and then he gets exposed and then he gets exposed and then he wins because, you know, Jimmy Crute has a fucking catastrophic knee injury. And it's like, okay, like Anthony Smith is not that fucking good. Uh, Jorge Masvidal, I don't know. Like, again, he's good. I don't think Darren Till's that good of a fighter when it comes to, like, being in, in the top ten of a division. So he knocks out Darren Till. Very impressive, obviously. Obviously, knocking out Askren is impressive. Uh, it's... It's probably more impressive knocking out Askren. I know this might be a little crazy, but, like, it's it's a little more impressive knocking him out. Not, not even execution-wise, but just, like, game plan-wise. Like... Just to, to realize that he's going to fucking shoot in the first three seconds of the fight. Uh, you know, I'm, I, I was less impressed by the execution of that of that knockout, uh, despite it being, you know, a brilliant execution, uh, th- than I was, you know, game plan-wise. So obviously that is going to lead to hype. And then beating Nate Diaz, I mean, the dude has a fucking, like, 17-12 and 12 record. So it's like, okay, like, in the right spot at the right time. And then you work your way up to a certain point where you face the top guys in a division and you fucking lose to Kamaru Usman twice. So I don't know what's next for him. He says he doesn't want to retire without the belt. He will never win the belt. I'm just going to come out and say that right now. feel pretty fucking confident in saying Masvidal's not going to win the belt. Uh, Usman's not going to lose the belt anytime soon. I would hope a trilogy wouldn't happen, but you never fucking know with the UFC. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, he's never going to win. He's never going to win uh, a legitimate belt. All right, I think that's all I have to say on that one. We do have updated uh, North Star Sports rankings, uh, and we did move Jorge Masvidal down a spot from four to five. Thompson goes up from five to four. Uh, I wanted to move him down a little bit more, but it just didn't make sense. And I shouldn't even say I wanted to move him down more. I mean, I just put people where they are, so I don't really have an agenda with, you know, moving people you know too much one way or the other it's just whatever whatever it is is whatever it is and I you know I think there is a gap from five to six in the welterweight division so he doesn't you know fall too far and again I don't really punish people for losing that much I reward people for winning in the rankings a lot more than I punish people for losing like I'll I'll never drop somebody fucking six spots in a division because they lost like that doesn't really make any sense to me so uh, moving on here to the co-main event uh, we had a first-round head kick knockout from Rose Namajunas over Weili Zhang. Uh, cannot say I saw that coming. Obviously, Rose is is well known for her awkward uh, striking, and uh, I don't know. I guess she just fooled her. I guess she just fooled Weili. Uh, I don't. I don't know where she thought the kick was going. Maybe maybe she thought it was just going to be a kick to the body or a, a kick to the thigh, and then just kind of just kind of flicked her foot up high and there was literally nothing she could have done at that point once you've committed to not blocking a a head kick uh you know you're kind of fucked and um you know good for good for rose i mean now she's the uh, a two-time champion she's the first ever female to uh uh, regain a belt which uh i don't know it's pretty impressive considering you know some of the female champs that that you know have have been in the ufc before um, obviously, you know, not a, not a long, ho- <laughs> Jesus Christ, uh, 
not a long storied uh, female division. You know, this strawweight division's only been around since 2015 or whatever. So, you know, it's not as storied as, uh, you know, like the welterweight division that's been around forever. Um, you know, but that that's impressive. And um, I don't know. I don't know if that's good for the division or not, to be honest with you. I know that she has a, a cult following. I, I don't really know why. I find her uh, very annoying. I find uh, Pat Barry very annoying. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff I could say about Pat Barry, but I'll leave... Uh, and his relationship with Rose Namajunas, but I'll leave that to people on Twitter and 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 whatnot. I think everybody knows what I'm talking about, and you know maybe some maybe some weird stuff going on over there. I don't know. Maybe some people should have <coughs> some people should have looked into that at some point. But I don't like Rose. I find her very annoying, uh, and uh, I I I think it's uh, a good thing. I think it's a good thing money wise. Not that she's gonna make a not that people are going to start tuning into the strawweight division because she's champ. I mean, she was champ before and nothing fucking happened, but you know, I, I think, I think that's a, a good thing, uh, for the fans. I think it's a bad thing for the UFC, uh, to some extent. Uh, and, and, and really that's kind of a weird thing to say because any result is good for the UFC. I mean, the UFC year over year always wins, no matter what happens. There's really never a bad scenario. You know, like I always say, clout, uh, cannot be crea- created. It's only it's only transferred. So you know, there's really never a bad result for the UFC. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, this is not a good result for their Asian markets. Uh, this is a terrible fucking fight card for Asia, by the way. And and you know, the UFC does that where you know, obviously, if they're in London, they have a lot of English fighters, a lot of UK fighters on the card. You know, if they if they have a Chinese champion on the card, they're gonna fill it with a lot of Chinese fighters. Uh, I think only one Chinese fighter uh, won on this card, and I think they had like four of them on there. It was a terrible, terrible night for China. Obviously, they're trying to build that market. They put uh, a performance institute in China. I think this is very bad news for their Chinese market, but, you know, overall, it's a wash. I mean, the UFC always wins, so, you know, not that big of a deal. You just might see a little discrepancy in a couple of markets, but um, I think a rematch would make sense. Um, it feels kind of weird. I don't. I, I don't. I don't think we thought Weili Zhang was gonna was gonna lose anytime soon. I mean, she just kind of steamrolled through some people, and 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 you know, after that last fight against Ioana, um, it would have been really interesting to see how she would have progressed through her title reign. You know, it it really did seem like we had three champions. I, I don't even fucking consider the featherweight division a fucking division. That's a sham, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but it really seemed like we had three long-term champions in place at strawweight, flyweight, and bantamweight with Zhang, Shevchenko, and Nunes. So that kind of throws a wrench into, you know, the, the status quo or, you know, what we thought was going on. And um, I don't know, it, it, it kind of makes you wonder about Wei Li Zhang. Was she in the right place at the right time? I suppose we'll, we'll find out because, you know, if she goes on a tear or if she gets an immediate rematch, which I think is warranted and beats Rose, then, you know, obviously she, you know, was as good as we thought she was, but like, I don't know, comes over at 15 and one, uh, gets wins over Danielle Taylor and Jessica Aguilar. Okay. That's, that's nothing. Beats Tisha Torres. Very, very overrated. Knocks out Andrade. That was super fucking impressive, but maybe stylistically that was a great matchup for her because they both were, you know, two fighters who like to move forward and pressure so maybe that one was never destined to go the distance or even fucking reach the first bell and then obviously the Joanna f- fight full cre- more than full credit to her on that one that was fucking crazy even though I, I do think that Joanna won that fight but I'm not gonna fucking die on that hill I thought you know you could go, you could go either way and I wouldn't I wouldn't be angry that was just you know uh, a tremendous fight but you know I don't know I mean it was she she was in the UFC in August of 2018, and she was the champ by August of 2019, so it was quite the fucking rise for her, but, um, you know, this, I, there's just not a whole lot to dissect here, I mean, she fucking, you know, the fight only lasted, uh, you know, less than a round, so, you know, I, I can't say I, I, I saw that coming, but I do like when, I do like when females can, can, can get the, the TKO KO, and she was out by, you know, she was out, she was, she was knocked out, she was, she was out of it, um, 
So, I, but but I like when when you can finish fights. There's nothing worse than seeing just a blase, you know, straw weight decision. I mean, that's just there's nothing worse than that. Um, obviously, in the rankings, pretty pretty self evident. I mean, Whaley is going to go to one. Rose goes to the the championship spot. And um, yeah, speaking of fighters getting knocked out, why the fuck does Joe Rogan keep interviewing these knocked out fighters? Um, I'm I'm not that big of a fan of Joe Rogan to begin with. Uh, but, you know, not that I fucking don't like him. I'm just kind of indifferent. I don't think he's, you know, all that and a fucking bag of chips. But um, why the fuck are we interviewing knocked out fighters? Oh, man, I've... Listen, bro, I hate interviewing knocked out fighters. I felt so bad when I interviewed Alistair Overeem that I'm going to... I felt so bad when I interviewed Daniel Cormier that I'm going to stop doing it. And then every single time somebody gets fucking knocked out. Joe... Whatever he does with his podcast and whatever, whatever is whatever. I, I'm not here to talk about anything other than you know MMA and and the UFC. But fuck me, that guy ruins every single fucking pay per view he's on. Anytime I see him on a pay per view, it's just fuck. I gotta listen to it on mute. I, I can't. That dude provides nothing to the broadcast. Uh, for someone who's been there since like UFC 12, that dude brings nothing to the to the broadcast. Like is just cringeworthy, cringeworthy. The whole uh, Valentina Shevchenko, and this is just from this singular pay-per-view. <laughs> There's just so many moments you could choose. The, what was it, the come and get it, or whatever, and trying to explain that to fucking um, Shevchenko. It's like, dude, just fucking let it go. We don't have to let, we don't have to have her say come and get it. Like, that dude, for a, for a quote-unquote comedian, that dude can't take a joke, that dude doesn't understand how to riff like just uh, just the fucking worst just the worst on pay-per-views i oh man i'd take anybody else anybody else i'd even take dan hardy i know he's gone now but i'd i'd take him back and i don't even like dan hardy and it's not it's nothing dan hardy says i think dan hardy's a, a, a very uh cerebral guy i just don't like british accents i i just you know you guys invented the language and you can't speak it the, the only exception is Bisping, but I guess that's because he's funny and, you know, he's kind of Americanized his accent. But it's like, God damn, I can't listen to another pay-per-view with Joe Rogan on it. I really can't. Ugh, man. And I can't stand watching concussed fighters who just got knocked the fuck out try to, like, answer... Like, like uh, with like with Alistair Overeem. And, and really, you could do this with any knocked-out fighter. Pick, pick any memorable moment. The DC one. It's like, um... Well, I clearly felt a tap. Okay, I'm sure he thinks he did feel a tap. He was knocked the fuck out. He probably doesn't even know where the fuck he is. So, like, you're going to get fans to hate you because, uh, you know, I'm sure some fans hate Overeem uh, for that or it rubbed him the wrong way because it's like, oh, what a sore loser. No, the dude doesn't even fucking remember what happened. So, like, it's it's such a shitty and, and unfair and honestly pretty fucked up situation to put people in. You, I don't even think you should interview losers. I, I don't even think you should do that. Why interview a loser? Even if you just lost a decision? Like, I, th- I think the only time you should interview the loser of the fight is if they fucking retire. Like, if, there was a, if it was their retirement fight. Or if they, if they were the champion. Or the, or the main event, I guess. F- whatever. But, like, we don't need to interview fucking losers. I don't give a fuck what, what they have to say. I'll tune into them at the fucking press conference. Or I'll fucking follow them on Twitter. I don't need to hear... I'd like to hear what the winner has to say. I love to hear call-outs. That's fucking awesome. But, like, I don't even want to hear losers, let alone fucking concussed fighters. Like, fucking, that's such a fucking shitty... It's just public humiliation. It's just... There's no fucking reason for that. All right, moving on here to the third title fight on the card. Uh, It was a round two TKO via elbows from the crucifix from Valentina Shevchenko uh, on Jessica Andrade. Just not even competitive at all. I I really felt like Shevchenko was playing with Andrade, taking her down, uh, you know, proving a point. Proving a point. Obviously, we know she's the best female striker. Uh, I I really believe that. I think Amanda Nunes has more power and, and a longer reach, but I think I think there's no better striker uh, in in any of the female divisions than Shevchenko, and I think she just took her down to to fuck with her. Honestly, I think she could have knocked her out if she wanted, just standing. Um, but I, I think she tried to to make a point, 
and uh, you know the got her in the crucifix, which does not seem like a fun position to be in. Obviously, you know that that was how she finished uh, Caitlin Chukagian, and yeah, just getting pinned down, both of your arms back, all the body weight across your chest, and you literally can't. I guess you can move your head. You can move your head three inches to the left or to the right, but I don't like. And I'm sure there is a way to get out of the crucifix. Like, obviously, there's a defense for everything, but, like, I don't know, man. Like, if you just have, like, heavy top pressure, like, I don't know what the fuck you do, man. <laughs> like, just sit there and get elbows to the head. And, um, you know, I thought it was a, a merciful stoppage. Not that it went too long, but it's just there's no fucking escape. There was, uh, what was it, almost two minutes left on the clock. Would have just had her fucking forehead sent through the bottom of the canvas. Uh, if that went 10 seconds longer and I don't know man I really thought that was the toughest test for her like a you know a former straw weight champ someone who's going to bring it to her and we didn't see that at all I would have loved to have seen Andrade I, I, st- I still think she would have lost but I would have at least loved to see it like I talked about it on the preview show I preview show I just wanted to see more forward pressure put it on Shevchenko don't let her dictate the pace she does that in every single one of her fights, and I think, you know, in, in the first round, round and a half of the Jennifer Maya fight, I think that's why Maya was able to win that win that round, is uh, pressure. And I don't know, we didn't really see that. She just kind of stood there, and that's, you know, with Jennifer Maya, that's one thing. I think they're the same height, but when you're five foot one, it's not really an option to strike at distance. Like, so, you know, sorry. Like it's you can't really just stand there and and try to throw leg kicks or something. Like you're five foot one. Like you literally have to get, like you have to be in her range at all times. And you know th- there's certain ways that you're gonna have to maneuver that. But you know, not even a challenge for Shevchenko. Uh, I I do think uh, I do think she's the the best female fighter, and it, it'll never happen. And Dana White kind of poo pooed that. Uh, although he kind of left it open and said that if both of them wanted to do it, he would do it. We need to see Nunez versus Shevchenko three. We just we need to see it. Amanda Nunez would never agree to that. She'll she I think she just would rather fight no name fighters who don't even belong in the UFC and just keep you know getting an easy payday by fighting nobodies. But you know everybody knows everybody knows Valentina Shevchenko won that second fight. That was one of the biggest robberies of all time. Amanda Nunez one hundred percent lost that second fight, and. Um, like I don't know, I don't know what else to tell you. These are the two best fighters uh, in in the female divisions. They're you know Shevchenko used to be a, a bantamweight. Send her back up and and make a mega fight. I think that would be the highest level fight you possibly could make. And um, I don't know, it, it's not going to happen. So it, it's it's almost pointless to to talk about it. But that that really is what what's next. Like what is next for Shevchenko? fucking nothing and very quickly I wanted to pull up MMA decisions because I did want to see uh, what people what media members thought about that uh, that fight Um, they seem to be pretty split on that one I don't I don't agree with that I think that's absolutely fucking ridiculous Um, but again I can pull up the North Star Sports rankings here and it's like alright we're sitting here at flyweight Uh, we got do we do a rematch with Caitlin Chukagian? I don't think anybody wants to see that. Lauren Murphy's probably next. I believe she has a fight upcoming with Joanne Calderwood. I don't want to see Joanne Cal- Joanne Calderwood would get knocked out in 60 seconds. Uh, Lauren Murphy would get knocked out in under a round. Uh, I guess Cynthia Calvillo is sitting there at number five. Viviani Araujo is sitting there at seven. Like, there's literally nobody. There's literally nobody. Like... And there's not going to be anybody for another year. Excuse me. For another year. Like, honestly, we just need to wait for more younger prospects to to get better. Like, Miranda Maverick is sitting there at number 13. She's probably two, two, three fights away from fighting for the title. But it's like, that's the only person I see on the radar. Like, Macy Barber obviously lost two in a row, but there's a lot of hype around her. She's at 11. Like, I just think you have to let the division play out, but the division's not going to get a chance to breathe because Shevchenko fights so often. I mean, I think think Murphy beats Calderwood, and and it's probably Lauren Murphy, and I I think it's another super easy win for Shevchenko because there is no challenge. I think there's such a crazy lack of depth in every single female division that it's just not even fun to 
to to to you know watch these dominant champions. I mean, it is it is fun to watch it, but it's like it's the same with Nunes. Like who? So look at the top, and she's scheduled to fight Pena, and she'll beat Pena in fucking under two rounds. That'll be one of the least competitive title fights we'll ever watch. But like, okay, look at the top ten. Jermaine Durandamy. If I see Jermaine Durandamy fight another. I will never tune into another female fight if I see Jermaine Durandamy fight for the title again. Holly Holm at number two. If I see Holly Holm fight, fight for another fucking title, I will never tune into another female fight as long as I fucking live. Okay. Juliana Pena at three. Gonna get smoked. Aspen Ladd at four? That is interesting. Th- that is interesting. I will give you that one. That's really the only legitimate title challenging prospect that I see at Bantamweight. Number five, Raquel Pennington. Just gross fighter. Arani Aldana. Meh. Yana Kunitskaya. Prob- no, I don't want to see her fight for the title. Ketlin Vieira. A little bit interesting because of her ground game, but, you know, is going to need is going to need to string together some wins. So she's, you know, a year, year and a half at best from fighting for the title. Uh, Lena Landsberg at nine. Nope. Sarah McMahon at 10. Nope. So it's like, okay, well, we have Shevchenko. We have Nunez. They've cleaned out the division. They've more than cleaned out the division. <laughs> How about we have them fight each other? It's like, uh, no, I think we should have Amanda Nunez fight Felicia Spencer again. I think we should ever fight Megan Anderson again. It's like, God damn, man. Like, no. <laughs> Please, no. I just don't want to see it. All right, moving on here to the very interesting couple of first fights to start off the uh, the pay-per-view. Uh, this one took place in the middleweight division, and it was a fight between Uriah Hall and Chris Weidman. And obviously, uh, if you haven't been living under a rock, you know what happened in this one. Chris Weidman... Uh, completely snapped his fucking leg. There's really nothing to talk about in this fight other than the injury. Uh, I want to start off with the rankings. I didn't move anybody from this fight. It's hard to move up Uriah Hall in the rankings because your opponent's fucking shin uh, exploded into a million pieces, and it's hard to... I didn't even move Chris Weidman down a spot. How can I move him down because of a catastrophic injury? Like, Chris Weidman didn't get beat. You know... It's a win for Uriah Hall. It's a loss for Chris Weidman. But to be honest, I almost I almost treat it as a no contest in my mind. Um, you know, it's it's almost like it never happened. Um, one one of the grossest injuries you'll you'll probably see. Um, you know, if I see injuries like that, like if I see if I see an injury trending on Twitter, I usually will tune into it. But you always can tune away because, or, or, or you know, look away because you you know that the injury's coming, uh, and, and and stuff like that. And you can you can look in the cap or in in the comment section and see like, oh my god, this was so bad, ruined my day. And then you're like, oh okay, well, just, I don't want my day ruined, so I'm just not gonna tune into it. Watching that live is such a surreal thing to see happen. I mean, fuck. I hope Chris Weidman's okay. I know he had his surgery. I think he's fine. He had a funny uh, penis-related post on Twitter, which, you know, maybe Chris Weidman's a new Darren Till uh, when it comes to uh, Twitter. So, I don't know. I didn't know Chris Weidman was that funny. But, um, yeah, just a fucking terrible, terrible injury. So crazy that that was the same injury that Anderson Silva had against Chris Weidman. I mean, shit really just comes full circle with that, but... Fuck, you got to feel so bad for Chris Weidman. I don't think he ever was going to work his way back to a title. I think this was an awful matchup for him to begin with. Uh, I would never put Chris Weidman against a striker. Uh, and, um, yeah, I don't know, man. You know, they they were saying that that's a nine-month injury. I don't know about that, man. That's a fucking really bad one. Breaking it. And then the, the thing that gets me is not even the leg, not even the shin snapping in half, but it's him moving backwards taking a step back where he thinks his foot is and really just landing on his broken fucking femur like or or whatever fucking i'm gonna whatever whatever leg bone that is but it's like oh that's what really gets me it's not even the snap it's the thinking that you're taking a step back on a leg and then falling down and landing on your fucking oh and who knows how bad that fucked it up so just absolutely terrible that's probably the last fight of his career, if we're being, if we're being honest. I could see himself working his way back. I think that changes things for him. I think if we do see Chris Weidman back, it's probably just for one final retirement fight. 
I mean, he's 36. He's not coming back until he's, and his birthday is in June, so he's probably not coming back until he's 38. I mean, I, if Chris, I, I think Chris Weidman should have retired after the Omar Yakhmetov fight. I just don't, there's not a path for him to do anything. He's just kind of hanging around. If he wants to make money, that's his own thing. And again, I would never tell somebody to retire, to be honest, because I don't, you know, it's the whole, like, well, you got to worry about your brain. Like, Chris Weidman has been knocked out five not even TKO'd, knocked out five times in the last five years. Like, I don't care. It's your brain. If you want to turn it into fucking pudding, I do not give a fuck. Have fun. Have fun. If you want to get knocked out 75 times in a row, could not care less. Have fun with that. Not my brain. Um, but again, I can have my opinion on whether or not people should retire, but I don't have any, I'm not a fucking athletic commission. I can't, you know, bar somebody from competing. But in my opinion, I think Chris Weidman probably should get one final fight just as a send-off I think that you know obviously he's a very competitive guy so I don't I I don't know you know if the injury's bad or maybe he just kind of loses interest maybe that is his last fight but you know obviously nobody wants to go out like that so you know maybe you just find another old guy put him up against Weidman and and you know put it in New York and and uh, even though he has terrible terrible luck with fighting in New York and, um, you know, just kind of have a, a nice little send-off fight for, for Chris Weidman. You know, one of the one of the better middleweight champs that, that we've seen and just one of the more unfortunate falls from uh, from grace that, that we've seen. Or not even from grace, because it's, like it, it's not like he's a disgrace. It's just kind of fall from the top. Um, but, you know, God bless him. You know, everybody loves a trier, and, you know, he definitely has the courage to go out there and, and keep fighting, you know, despite being on ridiculous, you know, well, he's never really been on a, on a ridiculous losing streak because he does, you know, sprinkle a win in there every now and again. But just, you know, kind of a, a, a rough, a rough end to his career for uh, Chris Weidman. Uh, moving on to the main card opener, and again, continuing the theme of uh, not not even that gross because you know it's, everything stayed in the skin. So you know, whenever an injury stays in the skin, it's a little more manageable to see. But. Uh, Anthony Smith uh, defeats Jimmy Crute via a doctor stoppage due to a leg injury. Um, from what I from what I heard from Dana White after the fight, it was a knee injury, and it was pretty not good. I don't want to say pretty bad. I don't want to exaggerate, but pretty not good. Um, I thought it was just like the peroneal nerve, uh, you know, that we saw against Chandler or that we saw against Henry Cejudo. Uh, because his foot was was limp, um, but apparently it was a, a knee injury. So I don't know if he just tore something. If his knee was unstable, but then if his knee was unstable, why is his foot floppy? I mean, I don't. I mean, everything's connected, so I'm sure that makes sense somehow. And I'm not a fucking doctor, you know. I I, I just pretend to be a doctor, but um, I don't know exactly how that works. But that's that's really shitty. I was, I was really hoping, you know, you, you never hope for somebody to have an injury, but obviously the injury did happen. I was just kind of hoping he got kind of hit in the nerve and, you know, it was just a shitty, unfortunate thing, but Hey, he'll be fine. And he can come back and, and fight again, you know, in a month or two. Uh, but you know, that fucking, you know, if it's a, if it's a real deal knee injury, then, you know, that's, that's, you know, very, very shitty and, and very unfortunate, you know, obviously what is he? 23, Okay, 25. But, you know, he's 25. He'll... Better to have a fucking bad knee injury when you're young, I suppose. You know, you never want to have one. But better... You know, if you have that at 37, that's probably the end of your career. But, um, you know, he's, he's young and, he, you know, he's, he's a tough guy. And I do think he's a legitimate title challenger. Um, but, uh, you know, unfortunate for him. And for Anthony Smith, hey, you get a victory. I mean, that's probably the best victory uh, that he's had. You know, obviously he has the win over uh, uh, Alexander Gustafsson. Like I said on the preview show, guys, Gustafsson, I think, has lost six of his last seven. Like, Gustafsson was not... I'm not going to say was. Is not as good as people think he is. He was very, 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 very good at one point, no doubt. But, like, everybody has these great memories of Gustafsson from his early portions of his career. But, like, dude, he lost a lot of fucking fights at the end, so I don't even credit Anthony Smith that much for beating him. Um... But I don't know. I, I didn't move Anthony Smith up for this win either. You kind of won because of an injury, and, you know, he's behind Volkan and, and Yuri Prohaska. I don't know. I probably could have put him ahead of Volkan. He does have a win over Uzdemir, but 
I don't know. And the craziest thing is, I think I think if the doctor didn't stop that fight, I think Jimmy Jimmy Crute would have won that fight. Jimmy Crute landed like two or three takedowns at the end of the first round with a blown out knee. Like he like Anthony Smith's takedown defense is so fucking bad, and we saw him get ground pounded and taken down a million times by Glover. We saw him get grapple fucked by Alexander Rakic, who's a fucking kickboxer. So I think Jimmy Crute, if the doctor didn't stop it, I think within 20 seconds of the start of round number two, he takes him down, and I think he probably you know senses the urgency uh, of of you know the knee injury, and he's on the ground with four and a half minutes to go. I think he just doesn't let Anthony Smith up, and I think he either chokes him out or just fucking pounds him, you know, just flattens him, uh, you know, into a, a thin piece of meat. So, you know, I still think he I still think he would have won, but uh, whatever, you know, win for uh, Anthony Smith. Now this means he's going to have to fight a legitimate fighter, and he's not going to fare well. I think him fighting Megamed Ankalaev would ma- would make a lot of sense, and I think Ankalaev probably front kicks his fucking chin uh, back to Nebraska. I, I just, you know, I don't think Anthony Smith is is uh, is that good. And I know uh, Drew Peterson uh, probably feels the same way as well. Not a very big fan of uh, Anthony Lionheart Smith. All right, moving on here to the prelims. We'll, we'll kind of run through these a, a little quicker. Uh, we had a one-arm rear naked choke victory from Randy Rudeboy Brown on Alex Cowboy Oliveira. Uh, really a pivotal fight for both of these two fighters. Again, just kind of, you know, Cowboy Oliveira definitely with more fights in the UFC, but both of those fighters just kind of, you know, roller coaster. You know, they got to a certain point in their career. They climbed up to a certain level you know, just below the rankings and just kind of up and down and up and down and up and down. Uh, Oliveira might be washed a little bit. That's two consecutive first-round submission losses. He's lost uh, five of his last seven. Uh, you know, from a guy who was headlining uh, fight nights to, to someone who, I don't know, it, it really wouldn't shock me if he got cut. I don't think he will get cut, but uh, crazier things have happened. I'm sure he gets paid a pretty penny every time he goes out there because of, uh, you know, his uh, tenure uh, in the UFC. And um, for Randy Brown, again, you know, it's just a, a mid-card fighter who got a fight uh, and got a win over another mid-card fighter. I don't think this puts him anywhere, you know, near the rankings. You know, I'm not even going to speculate as to who he fights next because it's like, you know, you, if somebody's in the rankings, you can speculate who they fight next because that makes sense. But with Randy Brown, like, he could fight a UFC newcomer in his next fight or he could fight fucking, I don't know who's in welterweight TV. Or he could fight fucking Jeff Neal next. Like, I don't fucking know, you know. You never know what the UFC's feeling that day. But uh, it was it was an impressive win for uh, Randy Brown. Uh, moving on, we had a split decision victory for Dwight Grant over Stefan Sekaluk. Um, I, I was pretty shocked on that one. I didn't think Sekaluk would have that great of a performance. I thought he won the fight. Uh, certainly the crowd uh, did not agree with the judges. They definitely thought that Dwight Grant lost that fight. Uh, I do want to pull up MMA decisions because I'd like to see what the media has to say about that one. Uh, I would... Uh, I would probably believe most people thought that uh, uh, Sekaluk won that one um, at least 29-28, at least 29-28 if not 30-27 I don't know, it just wasn't a good performance from Dwight Grant he really kind of got battered uh, at points in, in that fight which kind of surprised me because he's known for his uh, his power and you know, yeah, most people thought that uh, Sekaluk won the fight, uh, probably about 15 thought that he won the fight and uh, five thought that Dwight Grant had uh, had won that fight. Um, pre- pretty obvious victory for uh, Stefan Sekaluk, and you got to feel bad for that guy. Um, coming off of a two and a half year layoff, I want I want to say so. R- really a good performance for uh, for Sekaluk. Uh, moving on, we had a oh this one uh, an interesting uh, first round submission via a heel hook from Brendan Allen over Carl Roberson. Uh, tough fight for Brendan Allen. Uh, you know Roberson is uh, uh, doesn't have the prettiest record. Does have some losses in the UFC, but uh, 
you know, is is a tough fighter. He was obviously coming off of the loss to Marvin Vittori. Uh, Brendan Allen wins. We move him into the rankings. He's now at number 15. Uh, he was ranked before, and then he lost to Sean Strickland, had to pull him out. Um, but, you know, just kind of a... You know, not 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 the not a barn burner for the first you know four minutes, and then I was really really surprised when they went to the the ground and both of them got their legs tangled, and you know there was like twenty seconds left or something, and Roberson was trying to submit Brendan Allen via a heel hook, and I just thought to my head it, it might have it might have even been less than twenty seconds. I just thought like there's a real fight. This there's there's a real chance that this fight could end before the bell because you know to, to sink in you know if there's 20 seconds left and you're going for a rear naked choke or an arm bar or a kimura or something like that um you're probably fine you're probably fine even if they squeeze like hell yeah you could tough it out for 20 seconds um but a heel hook uh you're fine you're fine you're fine you're fine and then you're not fine and your knee is completely fucking shredded it literally just takes a second there is no there is no second in a rear naked choke where you're like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm not fine. And then I immediately have to tap. But with a heel hook, like, you're you're all good until your fucking ankle and knee just get ripped in half and exploded. And uh, I definitely kind of sensed that uh, was a possibility. And then Brendan, Brendan Allen obviously beat him. Just kind of a blunder from Kyle Roberson, not really known as a, a high-level uh, wrestler or BJJ practitioner. Brendan Allen, I mean, he's a very well-rounded fighter. I like his striking as well, but obviously his bread and butter definitely leans towards uh, the ground game, and you know, I just think that was kind of a really weird choice from Roberson, and obviously paid the price. So, you know, good to see Brendan Allen uh, hop back on a dub, and I, I do think he's a fu- future title challenger at middleweight. Um, you know, just sometimes you have a, you have a setback. You had a setback against Strickland, and. You know, I, I know he called for that one back. Maybe they maybe they redo that. I don't know how much interest I would have in seeing a rematch, you know, for a fight that happened fucking four months ago. But, um, you know, we'll see what's next for him. Honestly, I'm looking up and down uh, the rankings. You know, I think uh, Omariak Medov at number 10 or uh, really any, anywhere 10 through 12, I think, would be a, a very interesting Fight, you know, we got Omari Akhmedov, Edmund Shabazian, or Kelvin Gastelum. I think all three of those would be, uh, you know, appropriate matchups for Brendan Allen. And uh, you know, I think stylistically, a couple of those would be um, would would be a fun one to watch as well. All right, moving on, we had a unanimous decision victory for Pat Sabatini over Tristan Connolly. Uh, absolute domination from from Pat Sabatini. Uh, didn't watch that one super closely. Don't have a whole lot to say about that one. Two low-level featherweights at this point in their career. Uh, good for Pat Sabatini. Uh, we also had a 50-second knockout from a counter left hook from Dana Batgari over Kevin Natividad. Uh, just the rich get richer, man. The bantamweight division. We might have to start ranking bantamweights, not not from the top 15, but from the top 25. The bantamweight division is so fucking stacked, and just when you think it can't get more stacked, like you just have someone like uh, Dana Bakari, who's 31, so like right in the middle of his prime, and uh, you know well, he, he lost his debut, but you know thunderous knockout of Guido Canetti, and a fucking a very very nice knockout of Kevin Natividad. The you know the quickest way to climb the rankings is to knock people out, and this dude knocks people fucking senseless very very quickly you know just uh you know great power for a a bantamweight i mean that's very impressive to be finishing fights you know in under three minutes uh at at bantamweight and um you know i don't know like kyler phillips got a fight against you know song yadong who was sitting at number 13 and and he didn't really have you know the the kind of you know early track record that bakari has um but uh so, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he fought somebody up there in the rankings. Um, you, you don't want to push somebody too soon. I think there's plenty of non-ranked bantamweight fights that you could make with Botgari that would just be fucking amazing. But, uh, I don't know, it, it really wouldn't shock me if they put him... I mean, a Rafael Asuncao might be a little bit too much. Like, I know he's on a bit of a losing streak, but... Ah, Sunset was a pretty, pretty tough fighter. 
but you know maybe you put him against a Song Yudong who's sitting at 15. That would kind of make a little bit of sense. Um, it's probably going to be a, a, a non-ranked opponent for Botkari, but that is, I mean, shit, that is somebody to watch out for. I mean, he he, he really is. I mean, people want to see knockouts, and when you deliver knockouts, I mean, you're going to be on people's radar. You know, there, there's really nobody who knocks people out that people are not interested in. Like, there's such a reverence for the knockout. Like, name me a knockout artist who just nobody fucking cares about. Like, dude just knocks people fucking senseless, has a shit ton of knockout wins, and people are just like, meh, who's that guy? Like, everybody everybody knows the knockout artists in the UFC from the highest level to the lowest level. I mean, people fucking, like Conor McGregor says, Jesus loves knockouts. So, fuck it. Everybody loves to watch a knockout. All right, moving on. We're going to get to the first three fights on the prelims. Terrible performances for uh, the Chinese fighters. All three Chinese fighters lost uh, these fights. Very bad night for China. So let's see here. Yep, all four Chinese fighters because Wei Li Zhang lost in the co-main event. Every single Chinese fighter lost on this card. Just, you know, terrible, terrible night for China. Not a terrible night for Asia, though. Because you know Dana Batkaris from Mongolia, so you know that's that's a that's a good one. That's a good one. Is there any other Asian? Well, I guess Shevchenko's. Well, kinda. I guess splits time between Peru and Kyrgyzstan, and I think lives in America. So I don't know. I, you know, it, it, all in all, it's a wash. It's a wash for for Asia. Bad night for China. And uh, we had a uh, unanimous decision victory from Rodrigo Vargas over Zhu Rong. Uh, back and forth fight. I thought uh, Rong made it interesting in the third round. Really, I, I thought he really showed his power uh, in the third round. But you know, just a little bit, uh, a, a little too little, uh, too late, and um, you know, ended up losing. Uh, somebody scored it 30-26 for Vargas. That is fucking ridiculous. There's certain there were a couple of 10-8 rounds that were scored, and I think there were some 10-8 rounds that were scored in a fight that got finished, so it didn't matter. But man, somebody Troy Troy Winkapaw, terrible fucking judge, terrible fucking judge. I've never heard of Howard Reichbach either. I don't think he. I've heard of Eric Cologne before. I think Cologne had this fight scored correctly, 29-28. But yeah, that's fucking wild that is wild somebody scored that 30 26 I, I just I, I don't see that I thought I thought it was a victory for Vargas I don't think it was like even if you want to say it was 29 28 I don't think it was like man he solidly he solidly won those two rounds um I think wrong is an interesting fighter I'm always interested by Chinese fighters especially ones that train at the PI uh just because I think that's such an that's such a a, a region that's rich in um in martial arts but is a little like underdeveloped when it comes to you know MMA and certainly to you know when it comes to MMA in the UFC like obviously you know there are Wei Li Shangs there are Li uh Ling hope I got that last name right the leech the leech um you know there are Chinese fighters in the UFC and there have been for you know a, a little bit of time but you know that's such an underdeveloped region that uh, I'm still intrigued by uh uh, Zhu Rong, and uh, he is he is only 21, and that's the thing I, I, that I'm interested with Chinese fighters is they always seem to come over with extensive amateur backgrounds and extensive pro backgrounds. Like this kid's 21 years old, started his career in 2016, and he has 20 fights. It's like man, they just they pack them in, they pack them in. Uh, we had a, the the fight of the night in my opinion. Uh, in the flyweight division between Jeff Molina and Orichi Lang, uh, the Mongolian murderer. Uh, that was a fucking great fight. Holy shit, was that a great fight. Uh, you know, what was it? Orichi, I probably would have given Orichi Lang the, uh, the first round. I hope I'm not misremembering. I, I, I believe I would have given him the first round, and I probably... So, I just want to come out and say, I think this was a draw. I think this was a draw. I think Orichi Lang won the first round. Solid performance. I thought he won the second round. Now, I think the... So, 
Saudi Amato, Barry Luxemburg, and Tony Weeks all gave round number two for Jeff Molina. I think that's crazy. I think he got outstruck. He just had the one big knockdown right at the end of the round. But I still think Arichi Lang won that round. If not, maybe a 10-10, but honestly not even. I think Arichi Lang won four minutes of that round, and Molina just had a big moment. Now, round three, Jeff Molina fucking turned it on. Uh, Saudi Amato and Barry Luxemburg scored that a 10-9 for Molina. I think that's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Tony Weeks had a 10-8. That was that was a bad 10-8 round. Like I don't know. I don't I don't think it was a 10-7. Uh, I, I don't know if I go that far. But that was as dominant of a 10-8 as you possibly could have. I think Jeff Molina landed like 60 or 70 significant strikes to Richie Lang's head in his just his head in in round number 3. Every single combination, every single punch landed. No head movement from the Mongolian murderer. It just literally stood there like a fucking, like Gumby, and just took a fucking punches to the head repeatedly. You got to give it to the Mongolian murderer. He's got one hell of a chin because he just stood there. No head movement. Just straight center line, not moving. Just fucking like Bapo from Family Guy or whatever. Like just, just the fucking inflatable fucking tube man who just gets punched in the head and uh I don't know but but it definitely was a 10-8 so you know I I think it was a draw I think I think I think it would have been 20 to 18 going into that third round you score you score a 10-8 and uh you know we're we're sitting we're sitting there with a draw um definitely fight of the night uh you knew Molina was gonna bring it uh off of his uh, contender series performance very very good performance against Jacob Silva that is somebody to watch for that is somebody who uh I thought his striking I thought his boxing was fucking brilliant now now if you go up against an opponent who has even an iota of head movement you might run into some problems but he was throwing like he was throwing long combinations and then adding two or three strikes to the combination it was just target practice it was just you know, I I, I don't want to over hype one performance, but you know, again, off of the contender series and off of this performance, I, I do think that uh, this guy's going to be a problem. And if he fights like that, he's going to climb the division, uh, you know, fairly quickly. It's not a very deep division, and I, I do think he has some special special qualities. I mean, there's a lot that we don't really know about Jeff Molina. I'd like to know a little more about his his ground game. And, and, and things like that. I'd like to know how he fights against a tougher, or a, a better, not not a tougher, uh, but a better opponent. And I think we'll see that in his next fight. But I, I do think that that guy has some some inane uh, or innate uh, characteristics that uh, that uh, you know perhaps some other fighters uh, don't just have. And then moving on to the prelim opener, uh, we had a second round finish. Uh, from Ariani Carnalosi on Na Liang, absolute barn burner of a fight. I mean that that really set the tone for this pay per view. First fight back with fans. It was such a great fight card to have with fans. This card really delivered from top to bottom, from the wacky to the fight of the night to the catastrophic injuries. This card really had everything. Every fight, uh, literally almost every single fight was memorable. Uh, you know what I mean, and, and and had some spectacular moments in it. So good to have the the fans back. They were incredibly loud. It's been it's been such a long time, almost a almost a year, uh, or over a year. Um, so, you know, and it, it's good to just be back to to the norm. And I think very very quickly, very very quickly, we're gonna have uh, fans back for fight nights, because I think that this uh, fight card went went off without a hitch awesome awesome performance and I, I think we will get back to having fight nights with fans i don't think we'll have it for reyes and prohaska but i forget i forget which fight card is after that one i suppose i can just look it up i think they might have an off week uh if i'm if i'm being honest uh although okay my internet browser is just fucking terrible whatever not that important, but I. But point being, I do think that they. Oh, now it decides to work. Okay, well, let's take a look at the uh, the future schedule here. So, we will have. Oh, gross! We're gonna have Rodriguez and Watterson. 
oh, that is di- just a disgusting main event. But I think that I think that main event probably will have fans at it. Um, but yeah, no. Getting back to the Carnelosi and Leong fight, that had everything. They, they it's they, they condensed an entire fight into seven minutes. I mean, it was it was crazy. I mean, just uh, Carnelosi gets dropped within the first fucking six seconds of the fight. They're rolling around. Uh, they're just rolling around, and then Carnelosi's on top, and then they roll some more, and Leong's on top, and then you know it's a submission attempt, and then oh, they reverse the position, and now it's Carnelosi with the submission attempt. Attempt. It was crazy. They were rolling around kind of like those, like like Tom and Jerry, like where it's like the. You know the the cloud of dust, and you just see like a hand and an arm sticking out of the dust as it moves down the street, like it was some Tom and Jerry type shit. And then uh, you know Carnelosi gets gets the finish, and uh, you know Carnelosi somebody to watch out for. I uh, you know such a, a dick move to have her debut against Angela Hill, who's not even that good of a fighter, but just someone who's you know got a shit ton of experience and you know was in the rankings. I think uh, Carnelosi, you know. Little un, little undersized height wise, not uh, definitely not you know muscular, uh, musculature wise, but uh, great striker, good toughness, very powerful wrestler like we saw in this fight, and you know fuck that was such a great way to start off this card. Just you know a very very enjoyable card. Uh, you know there there's silver linings to having fights without fans. Uh, you know, you can hear people talk shit. You can hear everything. You know, that that certainly was a silver lining. And, you know, throughout the, the course of the last calendar year, you just kind of become uh, accustomed to having fights without fans. But fuck, it feels good to have fans back there. And, uh, yeah, goddamn, that was, that was one hell of a pay-per-view. Uh, you know, when we do our year-end awards... Uh, you know, there there might be a couple of contenders from this this fight card. I think obviously we're still very early. We're although we are almost in May, um, but you know, listen, I, you know, I don't know. This is definitely the front runner front runner for pay per view of the year. I mean, I don't know how this one gets surpassed. So with that, we're gonna wrap this one up. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Owen Ely M N. Follow North Star Sports on Twitter at North Star M I N. Check out our website at northstarsports.media. And thanks for tuning in, everybody.